This is the talk of Music City Real Estate. Welcome back to another episode of the Talk of Music City Real Estate. Where we educate and motivate all things real estate. My name is Monty Moore with Realty One Group Music City. And I am Jason Hoover stepping in for Carrie Ann Sear of CMG Financial and my mortgage team. Good luck with that, big guy. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> Every week we'll be posting a new episode chock full of Nashville real estate value. You can follow along and subscribe at talkmusiccity.com. Got a question for us? Ask away at questions at talkmusiccity.com. Monty. Jason, giving you a hard time there for trying, <laughs> trying, futilely trying to, to uh, fill in for Miss Carrie Ann Sear. Oh, man. Uh, amazing, the amazing Carrie Ann. We miss, miss her so much. The, you know, most, most of those uh, folks that listen to me know that I'm extremely cynical when it comes to choosing a great mortgage professional. And I'm telling you, Carrie Ann and her team at CMG are one of the absolute best. And I guess in a country, in the state, they're at, they are number one, aren't they? Isn't that yeah. what I heard? Yeah, I they're top 10 in the country yeah, too. At I least. think, yeah, top five, top 10, something like that. She does an amazing job. So be sure and check out, if you haven't before, check out Carrie Ann and her team at uh, CMG here in Franklin, Tennessee. And we have a guest here with us today. We do. I'm, I'm really excited about this topic, I gotta tell you. And um, go ahead and introduce our guy and and we'll go from there but i'm feeling a little bit vulnerable here because i don't know that he's <laughs> he's gonna nice. he's gonna give me some uh tips probably that i should have known before now yes uh so we have the uh we have uh dylan smith here with us he's a certified financial planner and i met we met probably four years ago maybe three, three years ago yeah, something, I think it was something right like at that. that time yeah yeah and um so if if you're a real estate agent you probably are like me you you haven't really focused a whole lot on the if you want to say the exit plan maybe um or your your financial situation you know down the road and so when he came and spoke to us um i knew immediately i was like man i got to get my 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 life in order and it's still not in order he's trying he's <laughs> trying his very best uh but yeah so um uh, welcome to the show dylan well, i really appreciate to be here guys yeah before we go down this path uh, let's talk about our awesome sponsor real quick let's jason because uh I'm, I'm going to really want to really delve into what uh, Dylan's going to bring to us today. Because, again, I am in the second half of life. I'm 60. I'll be 69 next week. And uh, I'm definitely in the second half. I don't plan on going past 130, 135, you know. And so I figure I'm in the second half. I, I better get my act together on this topic. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be all ears, all right? So. <laughs> Music City Removal is the number one junk removal service in Nashville. From residential, commercial, and construction, they're experts in ridding you of junk. Their costs include labor, dumping fees, without any hidden or added expenses. Whether you need a full clean-out or just one item removed, they have you covered. The Music City Removal team knows the importance of respect and trust while in someone else's home. They understand the inconvenience of junk left behind by previous homeowners and tenants, and are determined to provide an affordable and customer-focused junk removal service that puts you first. For a free on-site estimate, just go to musiccityremoval.com. That's musiccityremoval.com. Music City Removal, because clutter ain't cute. I need more cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> Reading is hard, okay? Let's just be honest here. 
Uh, well, that's out of the way. Let's talk about something good. Yeah, let's uh, okay. let's delve into what we should have known before now. But you know, better late than never. I'm guessing is that is that the moral of the story? <laughs> that's the here? moral of the story. So, <laughs> so Dylan, um, uh, if you don't mind, give us a little bit of a backstory. Um, sure. About you. Yeah, uh, Dylan Smith. I've been in business for about a decade now. Uh, originally from Auburn, Alabama, grew up uh, on the campus down Uh-oh. there. Yeah, I'm not going to hold that against you. Well, big yeah. Georgia fans. <laughs> Some know of that us really might. Works and you are having a season. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we are having a season, but. Yeah, um, let's see. I've been able to work with over 200 uh, real estate professionals, really built my career uh, around working with people in this profession. Now, now why, can we pause there for a second? I'm sure. sorry for interrupting you, but why real estate professionals? Are you trying to say that we need the most help, or what's, what's the connection there? Well, you guys are small business owners, yeah, right? And, yeah. and that's where I tend to see the most need and, and where I see a, a lot of common struggles. You know, a lot of people work at major organizations, the HCAs, the Nissans of the world, and they, they have things like their benefits and their retirement plans and things that are provided for them. Right. And really, they have resources to go yeah, to on for, autopilot kind for, of for thing. financial advice and planning and advisory. And, and when you look at the small business space, a lot of the times people work on their business and forget to work on themselves. Mm-hmm. And the business is thriving. They're really good at what they do, but they don't have the time to be experts in all, in all areas. And if you don't have an employer there on your back, sponsoring you, really providing those resources, where do you go? Or an it's accountability partner. I guess that's kind that's of a like great way to put you it. play. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. sorry for interrupting. I just want to make sure that uh, we understood why real estate might have a need for that. Yeah, topic. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so you've been doing this 10 years. Yeah, this is year 10. Uh, yeah. Crazy to think about that, right? I'm only, I turned 30 years old a month ago. Yeah. Right wow. Out. Yeah. Okay. So uh, right out of college thing. and only career I've ever had. And Wow. Yeah. So you know a thing or two. Uh, I, I tend to hope I'm surviving and thriving. <laughs> So let's uh, let's bring some added some supersonic added value to um, the real estate community here. This is what our podcast is directed to. This is who sure. our podcast po- podcast is directed to. Sure. And so we're going to be speaking that language today about things we should be doing and things we can catch up from not doing. And you 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 tell us, okay? You're the expert, and I'm all ears, man. I'm all ears. Absolutely. And you guys feel free to stop me, ask yeah. questions along the way. I feel like a great place to start would just be a, more of a macroeconomic update. Where okay. are we at in, in the economy? Where are we at in the world? What are some of the major headlines that you're seeing out there? What does it mean to you, to the real estate profession, and, and to consumers in general? If you turn on any news site, probably a word that you've seen over 300 times in the last two weeks uh, is inflation. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's a big, big topic. Or hyperinflation. Or hyperinflation, (laughs) right, which I don't think that's a realistic, but who knows, right? Um, What what is inflation? Well, it's the the cost of goods and services around you. How is that measured in the United States? There is a statistic called the the CPI, the Consumer Price Index. Mm -hmm. What is that? It's a bundle of goods and services picked by the government so they can kind of manipulate the numbers to make it look better than it is um, that basically measures what what are the prices around you. What is a gallon of milk today versus what it was 10 10 years ago, a a gallon of gas. I don't know if anybody's been to the pump lately. It's (laughs) not fun to uh, to fill up. My wife drives a a massive Nissan Armada and it's not fun to fill that thing up, believe me. Um, That's pushing $100 now, isn't it? Yeah, it's up there. And and so when when you look at CPI, what does that look like normally? Year over year, typically in the United States, the prices around you are going to go up at about three to three point two five percent annually, yeah. okay. and, and, and that's what that's the target. You want to see inflation. You never want to see prices go down. That, was, that would be a negative effect on the economy. What we're seeing right now, every single month, back using the October numbers because that's what's come out most recently, we're up over six point two percent across the board. So that's, so all, that's almost double this year, October of this year to October of last oh year. Wow. Now we're in the middle of the. 
Why was that though? Well, there was the pandemic. Mm-hmm. What happened? You saw the economy shut down. You saw business flood. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what did the government do? They stepped in to try to stimulate the economy. So what did you see? You saw things like stimulus packages. Mm-hmm. You're seeing things like infrastructure deal. That, there, there's a reason why that's happening now. They're trying to re-stimulate the economy. And what happens when you flood the money system? Prices around you start to go right. up, right? Because there's more supply. Well, and you have uh, the demand yeah, as well. So you know, of course. we're seeing all these uh, things that you can't even buy because they can't even produce them. Exactly, and you're, you're seeing all these prices go up around you. But what is that? Why does that even matter? Because right now, investing, whether it's real estate, whether it's the stock market, your money has to be in motion. It has never been more important than it is today. Because what happens if you leave your cash? your earnings on the sideline, i.e. the bank, stick it in the mattress, whatever makes you feel safe. If the prices around you are going up at 6.2% every single year, Mm. and you leave your money in a checking account, earning less than half of a percent, you're losing the purchasing power of your dollar. Mm. You may think it's safe, you may think it's sitting Mm -hmm. there, it's not gonna disappear, but the prices of, of what it takes to live your lifestyle is outpacing those funds, and you're losing the purchasing power of your dollar. So investing, in any sector, mm-hmm. putting money in motion is incredibly important these days. And in motion, that, you're, you're talking about in motion. You're talking about tangible goods or just some sort of investment that is keeping up with that inflation number. You have to outpace inflation. I, I, you have to outpace it. When, when, when I do retirement planning, especially with people that are in, in the upper age group, okay, so people that are no longer earning income, people that are living on their nest egg, people that we would consider conservative in, in my profession, if you're you can't stick your money under the mattress. You have to at least maintain with inflation. So you have to, if you're looking at the most conservative return that's out there, you have to at least keep up with around that 3% range. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. What, um, as far as real estate agents, let's sure. focus in on them. Sure. Um, what do you see the, the biggest challenge for them? Okay. Uh, well, Working with real estate agents, and I, again, guys, I, I built. It blows my, my mind. You'd be able to work with two hundred real estate agents. Yeah, and, and I've I seen it. To, all. You know, I, Jason, and I happen to work with two hundred real estate agents as well, and awesome. you're not even a realtor. Yeah, well, <laughs> and guys, I didn't wake up one day and say, "Man, I want to work with realtors." It just I got naturally pulled into this because yeah. I saw the need. I saw the need. No, that's the awesome. That's and, I'm and, glad you're and here. I'm man. trying to fill it, and that's awesome. When you go out, and what are some of the common struggles you know that I see with realtors mm-hmm. that, from a financial planning perspective? The very first thing that every realtor asked me about, and I just don't know if there's not enough education out there and not enough resource, it's really centers, centers around their benefits. And the first one is typically health insurance. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, my goodness. It is the first mm-hmm. thing they want to talk about. Uh, the, a lot of them don't understand their options. And so what I'd like to do is just take a couple of minutes and kind of say, what are some of the main options that are out there and where should you be looking? Because mm-hmm. the first place that I would always tell every single realtor, regardless of income, to at least educate yourself on is the marketplace, mm-hmm. healthcare.gov. I say that and so many people have a negative connotation. Why is that? Maybe I had a bad experience. Maybe I didn't understand how it worked and I got burned. Mm -hmm. It happens all the time and then people never go back to it because they didn't know what they were doing on the front Mm -hmm. end. So when I talk about healthcare.gov, if you are a self-employed individual like most realtors are Mm -hmm. and you have to go and provide your own health insurance, the only place, and I wanna be really clear about this because there's a lot of bad people in the insurance industry that will kind of present something that may not be as accurate. The only place to get true major medical health insurance with a deductible, a coinsurance amount, maximum amount of pocket, 
um, all the, the, the things that you really want to see on those plans is through healthcare.gov. Hmm. That is the only place where you can go get a true major medical health insurance plan. Now, where do most realtors kind of mess up on this? A lot of times it is overpriced per se. It's, it's, it's expensive. Why is healthcare.gov expensive? Because there is an, something called an open enrollment period every single year. Typically starts the 1st of November, runs through the end of the year. During that open enrollment period, regardless of pre-existing conditions, the United States government has insurance companies in every zip code that offer plans. Mm-hmm. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee, you're going to see the Cigna's, the Ambetters of the world, all the things that you see out there. Um, during that open enrollment period, they cannot deny any person in that zip code because of a pre-existing condition. So if I'm a health insurance company, once a year, I have to accept everybody. Someone on their deathbed with cancer, with hundreds of thousands of dollars of bills, I have to take them and I have to pay their bills. Well, so what, what happens hmm. to the pricing? Wow. They got to maintain right. profit margins. So you sure. see the price go way, so everybody's way. affected yeah. by it. So even if you're healthy, you kind of get priced out. Because we're, we're all clump, clumped into our yeah. bundle, it's, it's by zip code. It's by an it's area. by zip code. Hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So what did the United States government do? They said, well, people are going to get priced out of this. So it's all something called income-based. Yeah. So they take your age, they look at your dependents, and they look at your household <laughs> income. And if you're below a certain threshold, and it's a different threshold per, per age, and so a kind of a weird little calculation there, they will actually give you something called a premium subsidy. What does that mean? That means the United States government is going to pay a portion of your premium for that health insurance. Mm. The older you are and the less income you have, it makes it incredibly affordable. So I don't want people who are listening to this to think, oh, it's healthcare.gov, I'm priced out of it. Go back, especially since the new administration has taken over, they've invested a lot of money into it, and it's actually a lot more accessible than it has been Mm. in the past. The problem that every realtor needs to be aware of, when you go on there and it's income-based, the first question they're going to ask you is, for 2022, if you go on and try to sign up right now, Mm-hmm. For 2022, what do you project your income to be? <laughs> well, that's pretty tough in the real estate world, huh, guys? <laughs> uh, well, we just went through that because we're with uh, Cigna through the uh, uh, through them. So, so what happens? All right, you know, let me take my three-year average. I'm going to make eighty thousand dollars this year, net. Okay, that's what they're looking for—that adjusted income number. I'm going to net eighty grand. Well, what happens if I actually go out and make two hundred and fifty? Mm-hmm. I have a great year. All of those premium subsidies, which sometimes can be hundreds and hundreds of dollars per month, when you go to file that tax return, mm-hmm. government's going to want their money back because you made wow. more money than you told them. Wow. So people have gotten burned in the past by going in and said, hey, I made 50 grand last year. This works. Hey, it's $150 for a great plan for me and my, my kids. This is amazing. I love it. They go make 200 grand, and all of a sudden they get a $20,000 bill. Wow. They come yeah. tax time, and they get burned, and wow. they never want to go back to it. So what happens? Health, if you understand it on the front end, if you tell them I'm going to make 50 grand in 2022 and then May rolls around and you say, <laughs> I'm going to make a lot more than 50 grand this year, mm-hmm. you can actually reach out to them and have them adjust your premium in oh, real time. I didn't know that. If you work with an advisor, that would be their job during their, 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 their meetings where they, they stay on top of things. Advisor, that's, that's somebody like you? Somebody like me. Okay. That, that's their job is to mm-hmm. make sure that they're making those adjustments for you. Wow. Um, so, you know, just make sure that you're educated, you know, how it works. And you can adjust it along the way so you don't get any surprises. Other options that I see out there, because there's a lot of younger people. I would say people in their 20s, 30s, over 40, I always look to healthcare.gov. Um, that basically say, look, you know, 
I'm not getting any pre- premium subsidy, one, because I make too much money, or two, I don't have dependents, whatever it may be, that would qualify for me for these things. What does the individual marketplace look like? So common things that I see out there, uh, the MetaShares of the world, the, mm-hmm. the Christian ministries. Maybe some of you guys have heard of some of these mm-hmm. things that may be floating mm-hmm. around the office. Mm-hmm. Personally, not a big fan of those, but they are options. What is MetaShare? What is Christian ministry? They're called sharing plans. What does that mean? That means that I'm going to have a per-occurrence deductible. I go to the hospital for a surgery. It's a $100,000 bill. My per-occurrence deductible is five grand. Five grand's out of my pocket. I pay them. The sharing plan picks up the other $95,000. Works amazing for major, major things. Problem with those plans is they don't cover anything that is uh, everyday stuff. Going to the doctor, getting an x-ray, prescriptions, all that good stuff. So if you just want major medical, though, that's a good it could be a good play. The only issue that you have to realize there, guys, is if you look on sharing plans on the bottom, it's always in bold. It says this is not a fiduciary plan. What does that mean? They have the right to deny any claim at any time. Regardless, they are not uh, sponsored by the uh, healthcare.gov. They are not an ACA accredited plan. They have the right to look at you and say, eh, we don't want it. We're not going to pay it. No kidding. And they can do it. So wow, you just wow. need to be aware. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but the, the risk is there. The, the, the third option that I see being very, very popular, there are things out there called short-term medical plans, which are the closest thing to mirroring a major medical plan. What do I mean? You'll have a deductible. You'll have a copay. You'll have the magic number, the maximum out of pocket. That's the number one thing you want to look for um, when, when you're shopping health insurance. The, the, the short-term medical plans, the only thing that – um, you have to be really cognizant of is that they, you have to medically qualify. So they're going to underwrite you on those plans, but they're typically going to be more affordable. And um, Medically if, underwrite you mean you have to have a physical before you get I it? I wouldn't say a physical. They're going to ask you questions. But when you look at those um, individually, individually underwritten plans, they have pre-existing condition clauses. What does that mean? Hey, you know, I had surgery on my knee six months ago. I get on this plan. They're not going to cover anything from that surgery for the first year. So those typically only fall into place for people that are younger, more of a higher income, that where the healthcare.gov doesn't make sense and uh, doesn't have a lot of pre-existing conditions. So, well, What about for somebody like me who's had three back surgeries, but they're all you know, 10 years ago or longer? You're on Medicare. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Just pretend like I was in the first half of life instead of the second half. <laughs> well, if they were 10 years ago, typically those plans are going to say, you get on this plan from May 1st, we're going to look at May 1st of this year to May 1st of last year. Anything that you had treatment for in that time, we're not going to cover for the next year. Mm. And then after 12 months, all, everything's fair game. Interesting. So mm. th- those are really the three major ones. Short-term medical, sharing plans, but healthcare.gov. I-, I want to stress this because a lot of times in the insurance world or the financial planning world, there's a lot of sales going on. And sometimes people get these products put on them and where there's a much better solution through the government that doesn't involve an agent or whatever that may be. So I wanted to touch on that. And uh, what I love is that um, you help them navigate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so are you anti-agent? Because uh, we're agents, by so, the way. We're real estate agents. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not anti- kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm not anti-agent. <laughs> but, you know, as when you look at the, the CFP, right, the middle word is yeah. certified financial planner, but it means you're a fiduciary. Just like in real estate, what does that yeah. mean? You're on the side of the client. So it's my job to educate, give objective advice 
and lets you go make the educated decision. It's not yeah. my job to put a product or a square peg in a No, I, I love your conviction, brother. Yeah. I, I'm just kidding. I, I do love <laughs> your, your, your Well, in, in healthcare, I mean, because this is your, your, your overall, I mean, it's your finances. And sure. healthcare is a huge chunk. And, you know, we were... Um, um, getting you know uh, you know i've been getting all of our stuff in order and it blew me away that that is our biggest expense mm-hmm. for this year was out of anything was our medical so let me ask you this you are on through cigna you have uh-huh. a family plan uh-huh. i'm sure it's a higher deductible plan yep are you are you using an hsa no okay that's one of the m- but i don't and, and this is where we get lost on it is uh, my mm-hmm. daughter so we're very limited because she is a type one sure so you have you cannot have anything that limits pre-existing conditions right. or anything so and healthcare.gov I, is where you have to go we have to be and even in mm-hmm. I- even there i think it only gave us like one option or something of that would accept it yep wow. they'll limit you uh but just a point on hsas guys if you do have a high deductible plan and you have to have an aca accredited plan to have an hsa or a group plan Side note, any real estate agent that has a team who pays a W-2, maybe to an admin or maybe even some agents, I've seen them structured all kinds of different ways, you can actually set up a group health insurance on your team mm. and no one can be denied for pre-existing conditions. Hmm. Won't be really? as good pricey, but here's sure. a way for you to But do you have to pay it or can that be shared with So everyone? you can share it. You can, you can typically on a group plan like Blue Cross, Blue Cross will not even accept an employer plan unless uh, that employer covers 50% of the cost. So it's usually right. a cost share. Hey, you know, consumer agent, 50%, 50% there, but it has to be W2. 1099s can't, can't be on group plans. So it's gotta be, a, you know, the perfect situation, mm-hmm. but you know, go, going back to the HSA really quick, I don't I know we'll move on after that. And HSA is incredibly important. If you're going to use a major medical health insurance plan, it's one of the first things that I fund for my family every single year. Why is that for a family? You can take up the $7,200 per year, Put it in your HSA, write it off of your income. It is a write-off. I keep $500 of it in cash. The rest of it goes and gets invested. Let's say I use 2,000 of my 7,000 that's in there. The 5,000 that's left rolls over to the next year, and then I fund it again, and then I fund it is again. Is that taxable in the future then? Okay, so here's the thing. If you use it in, in along the way for medical expenses, tax-free out. Hmm. Growth, uh, growth as well. When you wow. get to age 65, it's a little bit further than the typical 59 and a half. You can use your HSA funds for anything, even non-health related issues. Hmm, no so what did you get? You got a tax break on the way out, on the way in. Mm-hmm. You got tax deferral and then you get tax free usage on the way out. Wow. So wow. the only thing that works that way. And you needed that, uh, that money on that, uh, that big deductible anyhow, somewhere. You need to have exactly. access you to know, it. First time this year, my wife got pregnant. I had our first kid. Uh, that was a $30,000 C-section bill. And thank God that I had an HSA to pay my entire deductible. Wow. So it, it kind of works like a 529. If, cause you put into it, it's tax free, right? Well, 529 is when you contribute, those are education accounts for right. people listening to understand what that is. When you contribute to a 529, you're not writing that off of your income. That's okay. not tax deductible. Now it does grow tax deferred. And if you okay. use it for education expenses, tuition, then you don't pay taxes or right. on a, any okay. other growth. Mm-hmm. Sorry. All right. Um, wow. How do you keep all that in your noggin? Man? I know, right? That's a, lot uh, of buddy, that's a very, very small piece. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, just one piece of all. Of it. And it's what just, yeah, I'm just yeah. so impressed. I'll yeah. continue. You guys just stop me because I'll, I'll keep going. No, I, I love the I love that you're so passionate about what you're doing. I mean, you're the kind of guy that somebody needs to hire and say, hey, I need some help in this arena. I'm not I, an expert on I, it. I appreciate it. You know, the, the second thing that I would say is what I see lacking from, from a benefits perspective. And guys, I'm not here to talk about insurance for an hour. I'm not going to bore anyone. 
But one of the things that I see lacking in the real estate world, I would say less than 5% of the, of the 200 families that I've helped have had this when they first met me, long-term disability insurance. What does that mean? What does it do? If mm. I'm ever sick or I'm ever injured, there is an insurance company that is going to make sure that there is a check in the mail every single month until the day that I retire to replace my income. Mm -hmm. Why is that important? Because we are in Williamson County, one of the hottest real estate markets in the country. A lot of the realtors that we've worked with are the breadwinners of the family. They, they're just very successful. And maybe they have a homemaker spouse, or maybe their spouse doesn't earn enough income to, to sustain the lifestyle of the household. Well, what happens? You guys are realtors. 30,000 miles a year average for, uh, on a car for a realtor on an, on an annual basis. Mm -hmm. And you're mobile. You have to do showings. You have to do listings. You're all over the place. And what happens if something sidelines you? Mm -hmm. You guys eat what you kill. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, where does That's the right. money come if you yeah. can't go out and earn the commission check? Yeah. Having, having a long-term disability plan, especially if you're the breadwinner, will save you. I, I, I'm passionate about that. My stepfather owned one of the, the largest car dealerships in the state of Georgia when I was growing up. My mother didn't work. He earned a, a lot of the money in the household, all of it. And at 51 years old, out of nowhere, he contracted stage four kidney failure and immediately had to go on dialysis. Wow. We went from a household of about a half a million dollars a year to below 120000 And they unloaded their rental properties. They had to unload their oh lake goodness. house. And their lifestyle really took a hit. I finished myself through college during that time. Uh, and if someone like me would have talked to him about this, mm -hmm. you know, th that probably wouldn't have been an mm -hmm. issue. So most people have an employer, self-employed. You don't have it. You have yeah, to right. find it on your own. I have long-term disability, but I also have long-term care sure. and regular, you know, uh, health insurance and, and life insurance. And, and that's part of my wife, Connie's, uh, you know, concern right now. It seemed like, you know, what are we spending a month just in insurance? So, sure. I mean, do you, are you all about uh, long-term care as well as long-term disability? Long-term care typically comes, it's for a certain age group. Like mm -hmm. I tell my clients, the sweet, Old guys like me, well, the sweet spot for long-term care, if you're going to buy it, if it's something that you're looking at and you're looking at your planner between age 48 and 54, it's typically the sweet spot to buy it. Once you get over 55, the rates are going to jump on you. Mm -hmm. Anything below 48, you're wasting money. You're not going to use it. There's a very low likelihood of you using it. Mm -hmm. um, and you're going to just throw away premium dollars mm -hmm. for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, long-term care, the first thing you got to look at is can you self-insure the risk and okay if you do have the net worth and the assets that said if i go into a facility or i need assisted living or home health care and i want to use my own assets do i really want to mm -hmm. you know do i want to shift that risk to an insurance company so i would tell you I, I i'm not a proponent for it i'm not against it i'm pretty apathetic towards it it's going to be situational person by person yeah i mean i get that My, but you know i guess why it's sensitive to connie and i is because for two years, her parents lived with us, and we felt like we were watching our future, yeah. theoretically, anyhow. And, and my mother lives not far away, and I spent uh, a whole day with her a couple of days ago in the ER because of challenges. And my, my point is, <clears throat> we, we got to live up close and personal to the costs of their care. Yeah. Crazy. And it's in today's world, it's shocking what those costs are. It's obscene. In Williamson County, for a single private care room in Williamson County, Tennessee, it's over $12,000 a month. Right now, and that, is, wow. that has an inflation rate of over six percent a year. So no, it's obscene. That's what I'm saying. It's absolutely obscene. Now we, we, we because they were living in a local place here um, on Concord Road, which I won't mention the name of it because I'm really pissed off at them. <laughs> um, they, uh, we felt so bad about how they were being taken advantage of. That's why they ended up living with us for two years. Wow. You know, yep. Which was a very you know tenuous uh, experience, but mm -hmm. but anyway. So um, I'm inter that's interesting that you're more apathetic towards that. 
that thought it, it, it's a, and it's more, a, more interested in the disability, long-term disability. Well, because when you're actively working, mm-hmm. if you're 40 years old mm-hmm. and you're on the sideline, you're, where you're, do, you're messed up. Yeah. You're messed up and, yeah. where, and you may have children and you may have a spouse and people are dependent on you. And mm-hmm. where does the money come from? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you're a burden on the family. Your costs actually go up right. more when you're, dis- yeah. when you're disabled. It's one thing you're losing, not, not earning, but you're also costing. Right. And so you, you have to have something, I, I call it risk transfer. You just transfer the risk of not being able to earn income to us and to another source. And uh, it's just incredibly important, especially for breadwinners. So yes, I would say for the realtors that I'm working with, because typically they're in that 30 to 60 range mm-hmm. um, and they have years and years of earning income potential left i'm more of a proponent for that yeah, I, I feel better about having it now after after you <laughs> yeah. sharing dylan i really do i appreciate that um i'll tell connie no we got to keep it baby so what <laughs> you know it, so i'm just going to change gears just a little bit but sure. still be on the topic of um, you know you know the struggles that we have what about retirement um, yeah like you know there's so many options out there and i know you helped us just get started with a uh, what's it a sir we did a set Sep IRA, mm-hmm. uh, but there's so many different ones. Sure. Uh, can you just briefly touch on some? Let, let's touch on them, guys. Th- there's really three common ways for a true retirement plan that I see realtors take advantage of. The first one is what every consumer in America has access to: a traditional or a Roth IRA. If anybody doesn't know what an IRA stands for, Individual Retirement Arrangement. Okay, so it is a true retirement account. When you have a traditional IRA, the first thing you have to be cognizant of is there has to be earned income. I cannot tell you how many people I work with that have massive real estate rental portfolios, and that's their income source, and then they want to try to contribute to a Roth IRA or traditional IRA, a SEP IRA, whatever it may be. That is passive income. So Hmm. first thing at first, you have to go out and earn income. Good news for realtors, you guys are earning commission checks, getting the 1099s, Mm -hmm. you're getting taxed on it. So traditional IRA, if you are under the age of 50, you and your spouse can contribute up to $6,000 each into a plan. Traditional IRAs are tax deductible. What does that mean? If I make 100,000, I put 6,000 in, I pay taxes on 94. That 6,000 gets invested, it grows over the years tax deferred. What does that mean? If my 6,000 grows to 8,000 in a year, I don't pay taxes on the two grand of growth. Years and years down the road when I'm in retirement and I go to withdraw those funds, guess what I have to pay? Mm -hmm. Federal income tax. So you are doing nothing but kicking the tax bill down the road. But you're hopefully in a lower tax bracket too, aren't you? Well, theoretically. Or does that matter? Well, theoretically. So when you saw 401ks were born in Mm -hmm. in the 70s with the ERISA laws, um, they were actually in, in, in a very high tax environment at that time. And so they made the assumption that, well, 30 years in the future, 20 years in the future, we're going to be in a much lower tax environment. That's the whole idea. Hey, I'm, I'm out here. I'm earning income. Maybe I'm, I'm an executive. Maybe I'm a really good realtor, and I'm a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. I'm, I'm in this top-end bracket. Man, I don't want to pay 40% on my income, so let me defer as much of it as I can. Theoretically, when I'm in my 60s, I'm not earning three, $400,000 again. I should be in a lower tax bracket. The problem that I have with that, guys, and this is more of a personal opinion, so you know, don't take this to the bank. I, I like your opinion so far, man. It <laughs> makes sense. I don't really think that uh, it's reality that a lot of people are going to retire into a lower bracket. Why is that? Right now in this country, we are in the second lowest effective tax rates, income rates in this country's history. Now, I know a lot of people are earning money. Uh, don't feel that way because they got to write the check every year. But compare, you know, 2020 and 2021, compare that to some of the times in the past. Uh, you're in a very, very good tax environment. Hmm. Well, here's the problem. We know we have social programs in this country. 
We know that it's going to take funding to fund mm-hmm. these things, and we also know we have a huge deficit. So what is it's a, it's not a political discussion, guys. It's yeah. not a left side, right side. It's a math problem. How does the United States government generate revenue? Taxation. Right. Okay. I thought it was just by printing machine. <laughs> well, they do that too. Uh, that, that's where that inflation comes from. I'm sorry. So the, the, I think something that everyone has to be cognizant of is if you're taught, especially I would say Jason's generation, literally from the time you guys came up, you were taught defer your income, yeah. 401k, traditional yeah. IRA, you're going to retire in a lower bracket, kick the bill down the road, takes the, take the tax deferred growth. That could come back to haunt you hmm. because what happens if you deferred all of this growth and all of a sudden you're either in the same tax bracket or potentially even higher in retirement. Wow. You, you make a, a very good point there. I uh, never thought of it that way, but you're right. Uh, when we first got started uh, working with some um, uh, financial advisors, they were saying, you know, you want to defer it till your retirement. Sure. So, um, so how do you combat that? Yeah. Well, the, the other side of that is where I was going to next, a Roth IRA. Same rules. If you're under 50, 6,000 for you, 6,000 for your spouse, you guys can put them in a Roth IRA. This is something you have to be very cognizant of. The Roth IRA is such a tax break. The government does not want you to have it, especially if you are a high income earner. Yeah, I think I saw something in the news here lately. $208,000 married filing jointly. The second you guys go over that, you cannot take a dollar out of your pocket and directly put it into a Roth IRA. What is a Roth IRA? You put your same 6,000 in. You made 100000 you put six in. You still pay taxes on 100000 You do not get to write it off. Mm-hmm. But every single year that grows, it grows in the market, whether it's a self-directed IRA or using real estate. I don't care where you invest it. It grows. Well, you don't pay a dime of taxes on any of that growth when you go to withdraw it in retirement. So I call it the farmer's trick. You know, I, I'm from uh, Alabama. My family's from Louisiana. They're all farmers. And, uh, you know, my, my granddad actually told me this, and I thought this was brilliant, and I'm going to use it the rest of my career. He said, Dylan, if I'm a farmer, would I want to pay taxes on a bag of seeds or a truckload of crops? I'll give you a couple of seeds, and I'll take the truck home. That's a Roth IRA. Hmm. I'll pay taxes now, but as it grows over right. the year, I'm taking that home, and I'm taking that with That's me. That's a good analogy. It's a great one, right? And so – I'm not here to tell you that one way is better than the other. Mm-hmm. I'm telling yourself to diversify yourself, not only from the way you invest in what you invest in, but from the taxability of those investments. So traditional IRA, Roth IRA, great, great tools. Problem is, you, if you make too much money, they kind of get mm-hmm. you out of the Roth. There is something out there called the backdoor Roth IRA that a lot of executives and uh, higher income earners use. That's a more advanced topic that you know we could discuss offline if you wanted to. Um, what I would say, though, for a realtor, and a self-employed business owner, the most power, there's two tools that I think are very, very powerful. One is what you have, Jason, a SEP IRA, which is a little more simple, a little less costly, but gives you a lot of flexibility. What does a SEP IRA say? If I have Schedule C income, what gets reported on your Schedule C? Your 1099, mm-hmm. self-employed income. Your net self-employment, so if I make 100 grand, I write off 20K of expenses and I have 80, Basically, a SEP IRA says you can take up to 25% of that net number and contribute it into a SEP IRA, dollar for dollar reduction off of your taxable income. The maximum on that- if 25%? You're, 25%. Of your adjusted gross. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Wow. Um, the max on that is up to $59,000 right now. So, okay, wow. what did I say about a traditional IRA? 6000 Right. Mm-hmm. Well, let's say I'm a realtor, and I know a lot of them, that I'm 40 years old, I'm making half a million dollars a year. 
do you, am I really going to build a retirement nest egg putting 6K a year away and, no. and maintain my lifestyle? No. So where can I go to get a major tax write-off and where can I go to get more flexibility on my contributions? The SEP IRA is the way to go. Um, and it's really simple. So it works just like a traditional IRA. You put it in, you get to write it off. It grows tax deferred. When you get to retirement, it's taxable and come on the way out. The, there really is no such thing as a Roth SEP. So I wish there was. It's not something they give us. <laughs> but... Conversely, the third step that I see, and this is really for realtors who have taken the steps to set up an entity, and what we can talk about that in a second too, I think that's something that needs to be discussed. Um, let's say you have an S-Corp, and, or you're an LLC or whatever it may be. There's something out there called a solo 401k. Solo K is what you'll see it. Hmm. Now, what does this allow you to do? Let's say you're an S-Corp, um, and you're the, you know, the sole owner, you're the employee, you're the owner, whatever it may be, and you bring in $100,000 into your S-Corp, and you pay yourself a $20,000 salary. Mm-hmm. You have to pay yourself a distribution. Well, you still have to pay taxes on all 100000 guys. <laughs> Just because you leave it in the corporation, it's still going down to your personal tax return. But if you use a solo 401k instead of a SEP IRA, what you can do is use the 401k rules. If I work for Nissan, and I always say Nissan because they're directly across the street from my office. I look at their front door every day. Uh, <laughs> if you're in a 401k, you're under the age of 50, the most you can put into the 401k today is 19,500 on an annual basis. That, that number just moved to 20,500, actually not even two weeks ago for next year. So people max out your 401ks. If you have 19,500 that can go in, if I am an S corp as a realtor and I pay myself a $20,000 salary, I can literally write a check for 20,000 in my 401k, deducted all that income. I don't pay a dime of taxes on that income. And I still left 80,000 in the business. Well, the business is going to flow down to my Schedule C, my self-employment mm-hmm, income. Mm-hmm. And what does the solo 401k allow you to do? 20000 in as an employee of the business, hmm. 25% like a SEP for your um, uh, money you left in the business. So mm-hmm. basically as an owner. So it allows you to not only do like the 59000 on the, uh, um, the, the S-Corp's earnings, you can also d- defer another 20000 as an employee of your own business. So I would say that's more of a complicated wow. step. That's- but it's a way to but get brilliant. sixty, eighty thousand dollars off of your tax return, um, and that's significant, guys. Especially yeah. if you're in the, you know, top end tax rates. Yeah, that is brilliant. Thank wow. you. Uh, I can't say that I, I still grasp all of it, but that's why you know you, you're the certified one. Yeah, I think here. the top of my head just blew up. I think. <laughs> no, that's a lot. Of guys, it. slow me down, guys. Slow me down, guys. It's really tough when you have someone who's not passionate about what. No, I know. Right, I, I know. Right. I know. I just. You gotta shake him once in a while, wake him up. Come on, come on, man! Act like you're interested in this stuff. So there's a lot of uh, options out there, and that's uh, that's even another um, reason that somebody should be reaching out to you to help them through this. Yeah, you know, and and navigate these waters because it's all about education, right? You know, I think a lot of I'm not a fan of my own industry, guys, (laughs) and maybe you guys can say the same, but I've just seen it done poorly so many times over and over again. And when you talk to a lot of financial advisors or planners, the conversation typically goes, beep, boop, beep, I'm doing a robot for people can't see me. <laughs> hey, what's the best mutual fund? What's the best stock? What's the best ETF? Where do I put my money to have it grow? That's great. Of course, we're going to have those conversations. But mm-hmm. educating you on the vehicles, mm-hmm. where you're investing the money and what the taxability of that looks like is vastly more important in my point of view than uh, what the actual investment is underlying. I love it. Um, well, let's, you, you mentioned about the S Corp. Can we uh, touch on that just a little bit? Yeah. Uh, about the different structures? or uh, Sure. I, I would tell you that out of the 200 families that, that I've engaged with, 
maybe 5% of them actually set up an entity for their real estate business. A lot of them were- They just don't think it's important or what? I, you know, I, or there's no one educated on them. Mm-hmm. Or and maybe, and again, guys, I'm not saying any one brokerage because they're, they're all over the place and they're mm-hmm. all with different mm-hmm. brokerages. Sure. I put that back on the brokerage and say, are you educating your agents the way that you should be, hmm. right? That's what I would say because in doing things like this, yeah. providing value to your agents so they know when they come here, they're going to get the support and the education that they need to succeed. Um, I think I, I try to put that back on the brokers. I really do. Wow. But if you come, if you come to me and you're operating as a sole proprietor in my business, we have something called E and O insurance mm-hmm. errors and emissions. So do we do too. And that's great. So you do have some level of liability protection, mm-hmm. but that has a limit mm-hmm. and whatever it may be. I know mine's like 2 million, 5 million. I can't remember what exactly what it is off the top of my head. Um, so let's say you guys get sued for whatever reason, a transaction goes south or whatever it may be. And they're suing Jason Hoover, the realtor. Mm-hmm. If you're operating as a sole proprietor and they go above the limit of your errors and emissions insurance, what you owe them, guess what? Personal assets, your primary residence, Ouch. your uh, retirement accounts, your cash, mm. you as a personal individual. So at the very so you're highly le- exposed, you're highly exposed. It's mm. it's a you're you're a walking risk. And for any realtor out there that uh, has a rental portfolio, I know that's very popular. Airbnbs, mm-hmm. things of that nature. Uh, if you're not holding your rental properties in a freestanding LLC, you are vastly exposed because you have renters that could easily sue you, and they could come after those personal assets. So we actually mm-hmm. recommend. Yeah. Every single property is held in a freestanding LLC. Wow. And Which is something that we're meeting and going to be discussing because we're not doing that either. Right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a walking target. <laughs> <laughs> I, I call it a walking lawsuit. Uh, especially. And, and but got, we're getting that fixed. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, as, as for your business perspective, though, if you're not even considering taxation and you're not even considering trying to save money by doing an entity, at least – do $350 to the state of Tennessee filing fee. Go to LegalZoom.com. Do it yourself if you need to. I would tell you to go to an actual attorney that will draft the document for you, but you know, do it however you want. At least create an LLC for your business. It stops the liability at the assets of the business. And if your business doesn't own anything and it all flows to your personal things and you get sued, guess what? Mm. The person suing you is SOL because they don't have anything to go and get. Stop the liability at the level Makes of the business. Sense. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, it's whenever you shared that with me, it, it, it really put a fear in me. I was like, oh, my goodness. And, uh, you know, we've got to get, get our, our yeah. ducks in the row. Yeah, I think it's a great uh, call to action here and a- awareness, Dylan, that you brought to us today. Before I forget to ask, how do people reach out to you that are listening that would like to know more and, and maybe consider having you be their guide through this maze of uh, detailed information? Sure, I'll, I'll give myself a plug. <laughs> well, that's, that's what this is all about. All right, perfect. Uh, I would say cell phone is always going to be the first place to reach me. Um, you know, I'm not a big texter. I like actually talking to people. I know when you talk to somebody 30 years and old, you don't really hear that a lot. But uh, 615-812-9256 is the best way to reach me. I can 615-812-9256. 9256. And then also but via email, I'm at a D as in dog, Smith at Capstone, C-A-P-S-T-O-N-E. FN as in Frank and Nancy.com. And I just want to tag on to that because um, uh, it is a plug, but I want to share that, you know, I'm very particular who I work with. And um, so I would. That's why, that's why we're meeting with this guy because I knew if, if Jason Hoover 
has recommended this guy. Okay, he's been vetted. He's checked out, and and so I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to be an expert on this. And mm-hmm. and you've lived up to your reputation here, brother. <laughs> so far, and uh, awesome. but yeah. So you know, I just um, I appreciate the. You're always very responsive, and which is a huge value to me. Thank you. And customer service, and just the uh, the knowledge that you bring. Um, so yeah, anybody that's interested, please. Um, I, I would I would highly encourage you to reach out to Dylan here. You thought about getting into real estate? I think you'd be a hell of a real. Estate. <laughs> <laughs> I want I want to be a real estate investor. <laughs> I don't know if I actually want well, to do the transaction. Probably should stay out of the business. So you know what the great you know. thing about having a show like this is it reveals all the things that you need to be doing, but at the same time you're like, <laughs> oh God, so many things I have to do. <laughs> <laughs> just makes you want to cry because you're so yeah. late in life with well, it. Well, Dylan, th- thank yeah. you for being here. I yeah, appreciate your time you, and, and all your wisdom that you shared with us today. No problem. Is there, can, I, can I share one idea? On yeah. Yeah, real quick. Because I didn't touch on this, the S-Corp. This is one of the most important points I wanted to make because this is something new to Tennessee. The state did not allow realtors to do this for a long time. Hmm. And it's relatively new that they've opened this up. All of my Alabama realtors, all of my Georgia realtors, they've been doing this S-Corp. for a long time. If you set yourself up as an S-Corp, just give you an example. Right now, if you make $100,000 on a 1099, you do not have Social Security or Medicare taken out of your, your – there's no withholding from mm-hmm. your income. That's the, called the FICA. When you're self-employed, they call it the self-employment tax. Mm-hmm. It's actually 15.3% mm-hmm. over and above your income rate. So imagine if you're in a 30% bracket and you're paying another 15.3, you're almost giving back half of the dollars you own in taxes. That's why you see realtors try to write off as much as possible, get that income as low as possible. Makes a lot of sense. You set up an S Corp. If you go and earn 100,000 and it's paid to your S Corporation, okay? The IRS says that you as a realtor have to pay yourself as an owner of an S Corp a fair and reasonable salary. That is a gray number. No one knows what it is. Every CPA is going to give you something different. Let's just call it 50,000 for this example. You pay yourself 50,000. You only owe 15.3% that self-employment tax on the 50k you left in the business. So just by the way you pay yourself, literally left wow. pocket to the right wow. pocket, 15% in taxes saved every single year. If you're not doing it, consider it. Um, I would say $100,000 is typically the, the starting point. If you're over 100, you should be doing that. Yeah, that's thousands of dollars wow. saved. Boom. Wow. Thank you again, Dylan. Yep, appreciate it. What great information. Again, guys, if you want to reach out to Dylan, it's 615-812-9256 or dsmith at capstonefn.com. Thank you again, everybody, for joining us today. We are the talk of Music City Real Estate.